0: Thank you for joining us on another episode of DLT in the real world, the hype-free podcast designed to put facts and figures against real life cases of DLT deployments. In September 2020, HSBC, Singapore exchange, Tomasek announced that they completed a pilot bond issuance duplicating an issuance of 400 million Singh dollars for Olam International. Now, given the players that were involved, this was a huge DLT case study, very, very high profile, and also many eyes on it in terms of watching to see the transformational effects of that across the market. I'm delighted that Rajiv tamala he is here from HSBC to talk us through the facts and figures of this case study. So, Rajiv, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Bani, for having me on your show.
0: So, let's jump straight in. This Olam, issuance, what was the problem that we're trying to solve with DLT here?
1: Yep, And Rani, as you know, DLT often is basically accused of a solution trying to find a problem. Having worked on POCs uh, within HSBC and in my previous roles as well, you know that was something that I was aware of. POCs do serve a purpose. They help you learn about the capabilities of the technology. And if that is the purpose, A solution fitting a problem doesn't matter because you're trying to understand what the technology is capable of. And by the time we started discussing the use cases with both Temasek and SGX, HSBC had the experience of working through projects like Project Ubin in Singapore sponsored by the MAS. And we pretty much knew across the bank as to the kind of cases that DLT lends itself to. So A, we understood that it has to be a a multilateral problem, that is multilateral workflows, many different entities, which try to do similar things, even though there is lower value add of doing or processing that stuff. So, And then from MAS, Project Ubin, we also understood security settlement in the context of a blockchain, which lent itself reasonably well. We also identified within SGX, a neutral operator of a DLT network that can help us with managing a network related to securities settlement and asset servicing. And we try to now bring these pieces together. And once you start to think about securities, you need investors, you also need issuers, and of course the intermediaries, banks, and financial market utilities, SGX. And across the spectrum between SGX, HSBC, and Temasek and their portfolio companies, we thought we had the required actors To create what I would call a minimum viable product, more importantly for a minimum viable ecosystem and test it out. And we were trying to sort of look at the hypothesis we were testing was what kind of efficiencies we can bring in by a financial market infrastructure provider operating a DLT-based utility. And are these benefits worth expanding the minimum viable ecosystem and the minimum viable product? You know, along both streams. And that was primarily the use case that we were trying to solve for. And we picked up fixed income securities as part of that because a lot of companies issue in their life cycle, they issue fixed income securities frequently, not once in in the life cycle of a company, but more frequently. And we thought there is an end-to-end story there.
0: And so specifically on the, the bond issuance part, what was it about the, you know, I think there was a quote that bond markets one of the last bastions of risk holding on to paper and manual processes in the context of this case study. What was it specifically about the bond market that really stood out here in terms of potential efficiencies?
1: Yes. So traditionally, when we talk about digitalization projects, we always think there's a lot of paper <laughs> and pen involved. But I think most institutions have probably moved away from paper in the workflow, right? But the lack of workflow is a problem that we try to address. That is, you know, a lot of coordination being managed by email and a bunch of Excel sheets that are flying around. That clearly demonstrates that there is a lack of a multi-party workflow there. The second aspect is, of course, you know, the processes that go on while you start to think about issuing a bond. You involve lawyers, you involve the arranging banks, you basically talk to Your investors, the investors talk to their custodians. In some ways, you know, there are over 2,500 steps that are carried on on a line item basis, right, in a siloed basis, and then you coordinate it across multiple different parties. And you can definitely create workflows around it. It is about creating that shared infrastructure that allows you to operate efficiently. That, I think, is the problem uh, to solve, you know, not just in bond markets, but every other place where you are trying to apply DLT solution. Is Is there a case for a shared workflow and a shared infrastructure using which I can still continue to perform what I need to, but everyone else doesn't need to do what I do?
0: So 2,500 steps across the workflow, I mean, that's a powerful number. Let's talk about the the actual solution that we put in place then for the OLAM issuance in terms of how, yep. how we address that.
1: Yeah, I would basically start off with, when you look at a problem of that nature, because these 2,500 steps are maybe spread across 15 different roles. And when you try to solve all problems for all entities, it ends up being trying to boil the ocean. So you'll have to then create what I would call an MVP that sits very well with the minimum viable ecosystem that you're trying to solve for. So we picked up, as part of this, we said, okay, for solving all these problems, what are the fundamental blocks that you need to have in place on a DLT? So that sort of uh, through exercises in design thinking and bringing together the participants into a room in the, this pre-COVID. You know, there, we had at least two workshops that lasted across these 15 roles that I was speaking to, you know, about five days each. And then we identified that the f- Fundamental building blocks of this minimum viable ecosystem were ability to issue, collect data, to issue securities in tokenized form and settle them. And are you able to service these assets? Again, on the fixed income cash bond side, typically the servicing is coupon payments and redemptions. And can you sort of create that fundamental layer and then you can extend it upwards into book building or into secondary market trading. But that is the fundamental Building blocks that we built out as part of the initial MVP development.
0: But can we just talk through the the actual infrastructure though? So you had obviously the issuance. How did the actual the the counterparties all work together in terms of the various roles and and the technology underlying it?
1: So largely HSBC, given that we are a universal bank, we can play uh, more roles in the issuance process. So we we are a traditional arranger bank. We have syndicate team that helps with sales. We also have the issuer services business that advises and helps out issuers in the issuance process. We also are a large custodian. That means we have our footprint with the investor community. We service them. We hold assets in safe custody. And we are also cash payment bank for institutions. So all these meant that I could basically coordinate internally to bring these different departments Temasek helped out with the reach to both investors and issuance, and SGX, from a market operator lens, knew what good looks like in operating a utility. And then the depository side of SGX was involved in telling us what goes on in issuing a digital security, because right now, all securities are dematerialized. Of course, there is a physical global node that sits in their vault, but... And now you have that know-how and what goes on into issuance. And as an arranger bank with the sales team in tow, you could basically say, how do you effectively pass the data into the issuance lifecycle from the book building process? And from the custodian side, we, we would basically be then acting as a custodian, not only for the investors, but also to the billing and delivery bank in the process. HSBC custody had like sort of two roles there. And the cash payment bank, of course, facilitating the payments. So the infrastructure was built in with a view that, can you tokenize and actually perform an atomic settlement using the interfaces with the blockchain and test out the hypothesis that A, it is possible, yes, and putting that effort, is it worth the efficiencies that you get in and how does it scale? So we try to answer these three questions. Will investors and issuers value shorter settlement cycles, cutting down the time it takes to issue a bond, all these things. It's almost like the current process. What we found was that there is not one big lump of efficiency that comes through by solving 80-20 rule, right? So they're not 80%. It is a lot of small efficiencies that come together to give you the value
0: absolutely two plus two equals five in terms of the the value of, of what we're talking about can we walk through what some of those efficiencies
1: were that you saw as, as yep. you ran through the issuance i'll pick two examples right so we we looked at the security identifier issuance again this is traditionally done from as part of the issuance process issuer applies for it and sometimes different infrastructures operate in a different way so we found that there was an inordinate amount of data that was required to sort of issue a security identifier. And we worked with the relevant roles within that process. And eventually we could get it down to like five minutes, right? So you take the minimum data that is required and then you issue. It came down from something like 72 hours to five minutes. And coupon payment processes as well, right? So we found that there's a lot of duplication that goes on in the coupon payment process, right, from the issuer-issuer services teams in the depository and the custodians You spent almost 225 hours across all the different parties involved just to do the same processes. And a smart contract could primarily give you that always right so an asset that's smart programmable will always tell you what are its rights and obligations oh i am eligible for a coupon payment on these dates at an aggregate issuer would know because they have issued all the assets on the network they would always know outstanding assets what is their obligation and all the investors would know for the portion they hold what are their rights to the corporate action events absolutely so okay to Fantastic examples. So
0: essentially one much faster issuance of the ice into the automation of the coupon payments. Do you get a view of where this goes from here then in terms of those are obviously you've proven those
1: benefits. Where does the scale out from here? From this, the intention was to give us optionality in terms of scaling up once you have these fundamental building blocks. So there are two ways you will scale. So one is add more features to your MVP and add more Parties to your MVE that is minimum viable ecosystem. So you will scale across, you know, along these two streams of work. And SGX and Temasek have now gone out and created a new entity called Market Node that's going to own and operate this particular utility. Primarily, they call themselves as a digital market infrastructure utility. So they will go and look into end to end digitization of the issuance process, bring on more entities. Uh, the second thing of course is now if you basically do an end to end digitization for a asset class fixed income what's stopping you from extending it to support other asset classes but again similar pattern build out an mvp build out an mve then extend it to other classes structured products mostly we have focused here on post trade but and then connecting it to secondary trading venues. And more importantly, one of the other scalable is your ticket sizes in bonds now come down. That would have some implications in the wealth management space as well, Bani. Do you really need $3 million to have a well-diversified bond portfolio if each of the ticket sizes were $5,000 or $500? You could basically scale it down. That means... And by the very nature, these assets are smart and programmable. That means the overhead of managing these assets in your portfolio should also decrease. So you create new product possibilities on the back of these fundamental changes in how you issue assets.
0: I hope you're enjoying this podcast and it's really helping you to grasp the exact benefits and KPIs that DLT can help you to realize in your world. If you have a live DLT case that you'd like to share, please contact us at info at thevalueexchange.co so that we can all hear about the amazing transformation that you've achieved. Yeah. What about the whole settlement risk piece? I mean, presumably, the issuance process was accelerated quite a lot. I mean, presumably, from a banking balance sheet perspective, in terms of balance sheet consumption and also
1: counterparty risk for the investors, there must have been quite a big win on that as well, was there? Yes. So, as you reduce settlement cycles, right? so one aspect is that risk goes away. And right now, if you look at Any large depository, the way they offer, you know, primary or secondary, most settlement is batch-based. With DLT, you're definitely going more towards, you know, shorter settlement windows as well, right? So you could basically still operate a batch, but many, many batches, and you can run your batch every 15 minutes or every 10 minutes, or you can actually go down... And again, this is the progress that we will get to almost near instant real-time settlements. You know, payments would be a big part of that and the payments infrastructure would be a big part of it. CBDCs and our, you know, constructs like that where a national depository can then plug into that infrastructure and say, I can facilitate the movement of securities through an instant payment facility or tie them both together. Those are the kind of things that will be possible in future. And it could be a simple, naughty thing like, can I have a smart contract interfacing with a Swift API? But as long as the, the value transfer happens quickly, you can keep them in sync. There are ways that these things are possible or can be made possible. Again, we are talking about the institutional space here. And hence, some things will come a little later. But yes, it is definitely possible. It significantly reduces the risk, the balance sheet exposure the banks have. And how that translates to investors and issuers is also to be seen, right? Will it be better yields for both sides?
0: Yeah. So all makes perfect sense. Why won't that happen? I mean, what did you learn about the, the challenges and what we need to do differently and, and potentially even the obstacles
1: to actually to scaling this kind of thing out? Yes. We are all inspired in the institutional space by what happens in the consumer space. right? We try and, I think, get inspired by the patterns that we see In that space, we have to try and contextualize for the institutional space. A classic example is our realization that, you know, not only there is a MVP, minimum viable product that we need to build, but we need to build that with a minimum viable ecosystem. And then, you know, you have to select the right partners and you have to have a roadmap to add or expand that minimum viable ecosystem. And trying to frame the problem statement in a way, it makes sense to Different entities across the value chain, right? Each one of them is performing a slightly different role. And how can you add value and a utility basically looking at it from a real utility perspective? That is, can I perform an activity at a marginal cost that is lower than each of the entities performing a similar activity? Is a marginal cost down by 30% or 50% or 60%? I mean, the right questions to ask. And, you know, over a period of time, it is also sitting with some amount of ambiguity there, right? So you will not have solutions for each and everything that you identify and managing that ambiguity while you develop your MVE and MVP is also critical.
0: So one of the major obstacles is basically is the the institutionalization of the offering and as a result the ability to gather enough people around the table to make a an ecosystem play and and, and realize the benefits you were saying of removing the replication of tasks across multiple parties in the chain
1: and also it is one one additional thing in the institutional place that is unique is finding an operator of the network which sits together with uh, various parties on that particular network right it's not seen as a single type of entity play versus people having the traditional in our case sgx is that neutral operating entity because they already ma- operate market utilities and they are the natural place to go and request to operate.
0: But that I was just going to ask actually what defines this project versus others in terms of the parties around the table. What were the good takeaways from from this in terms of actually the right having the right people around the table? So one was basically having a, a utility player, you know, with a vested interest in building utility from the beginning. And presumably two was having the power of a name like Tomasek as well, to be yep. able to actually drive an ecosystem play just through their own influence and scale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, different parts of our bank coming together made my my own life easier. Mm. Uh, you know, less coordination, still coordination is required. That's what made this uh, project special in terms of testing that hypothesis and saying that, okay, it's worth continuing and then them going and forming that, uh, you know, entity to sort of further scale it up. Mm. So do but you yes, the hypothesis? Yes, Definitely. And we have learned a bunch of lessons, right? You know, MBE is something that I learned from this particular project by identifying that. And the kind of use cases that DLT is applicable to, going back to our initial conversation around, you know, what kind of patterns does this particular capability uh, useful for? What was the debrief
0: when you did sit down and go through it? I mean, how would you define success from this project? So there are
1: three aspects on definition of success, right? So first I would say is, you know unlike other projects being able to run an you know standard market issuance on the platform right so the bonds were not issued because we had a dlt platform you know we said let's take a standard market and convincing someone like olam that you know this is what we wanted to do and them basically coming to participate i would say first finding the first issuer the second success one of the things that are and this was one of the things that we wanted to do right don't create a bond just for the sake of dlt and then wash your hands off it so we have had repeat issuances on the platform that to me is one of the success criteria the second thing is providing optionality as well to the investors and issuers and running in a mode where there is a bridge between how you do things currently versus how you can do things in the future and we all know that things will change in future but having learning about building those bridges you know that was a significant success for us in the debrief, that you can run these things in parallel and as a utility, someone like SGX can offer optionality to both issuers and investors, right? So saying that you can hold your bonds, by the way, in dematerialized form or tokenized form, and that's always going to be the case, right? You cannot create in the project team we used to call digital islands, liquidity risk for investors right you you have a great efficient process but then you can only move the bonds between investors and their custodians who can who are capable of holding these in a certain format and that's not why investors buy bonds so actually having that uh, interoperable bridge between the existing way the ecosystem works and this is the future way that the ecosystem works and that bridge will give all the players in the ecosystem a path to migrate, right? As as your MVE and MVP scale up, that is the path to migrate. And to me, that was a great way to think about one of the positive outcomes of the project. And of course, the third one was, how can we scale up? Can we really scale up? And then we determined that, yes, you know, the end-to-end digitization and with what smart contracts can do, right? So less focus on ledger, more focus on the smart contracts on the platform and how much of business processes can you sort of, create and automate using smart contracts and entities and participants using them to solve the replicated tasks problem.
0: It's an interesting point on the smart contracts piece you know to your point smart contracts is workflow from a build perspective as you were going through it were you surprised by the amount of of workflow mapping that ended up needing to be done?
1: We knew that there would be a lot of work I mean I would basically say that we knew that there will be a lot of opportunity there because we did the initial workshops and we realized and honestly the question then was of prioritizing right so where do you apply the smart contract and that's where the MVP features come in to help you guide you to apply because each of those 2,500 manual steps, right? So smart contracts place a bit of artificial intelligence. We realized this part of the project is you can solve, you know, a lot of documentation problem that happens really upstream while you are coming through can be solved through smart documentation, right? So application of AI, you know, knowing the difference between various kinds of covenants and having some kind of a standard utility tool that tells you what is the best practice in the market versus where you are. Now, all of that is an AI problem, I would say, and then combining that with the data infrastructure, and then finally comes tokenization. That's, to me, like the end-to-end solution. That's what it looks like, right? So there's a bit of blockchain, there's a bit of smart contracts, there's a bit of AI because ultimately workflow and as in debt markets, it's all around documentation, right? So at the beginning, offering circulars and pricing guides, you really have to create them from the scratch or can a utility sort of spit out by you choosing standard features
0: yeah absolutely well no look I mean that that's a a perfect point to end off on because I think you know it's the benefit is you really highlight it really really well in terms of the combination of different benefits that you're talking about here it's not just about a blockchain and it's not just about a smart contract or about AI it's the assembly of all the tools into into basically an answer and I think you know for me that that's an, an enormous piece alongside the the mve which i promise to use many many times in future conversations because i think dlt is about the ecosystem play and i think what you've described is a great way of being able to gather the right ecosystem to be able to deliver some major benefits so thank you really appreciate that's fantastic conversation and I've learned a huge amount so thank you Raju. thank you Bunny. indeed brilliant thank you for listening to our dlt in the real world podcast I hope this episode has brought you one step closer to having the facts and figures of DLT clear in your mind so that you can go and write your own business case for change soon. We'll be back next week with another real-life episode of DLT. And just reach out to us at info at thevalueexchange.co if you have any questions at all. We'd love to help.